weekly podcast where we sit down and talk with marketing thought leaders and experts on the issues and topics of interest to marketers and business leaders everywhere. I'm Anton Bushner with a special conversation on the rise of artificial intelligence and the impact it's having on marketing. To discuss this today in Sydney, I'm sitting down with John James. Welcome, John. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. I'm really excited to have a chat to you. You're a a growth strategist, growth consultant, Mm-hmm. Uh, which means you're focused on business, you're a director, uh, I see you've been a digital strategist and growth manager and board advisor. So you come with a really interesting uh, background. I'm fascinated to hear uh, what you're seeing around artificial intelligence today. How does that sound? Sounds great. Yeah, let's uh, get right into it. Delve in, delve in. I'd love to maybe just start off by getting a bit of a background for the listeners. Sure. Um, what's been your sort of trail to, to today and the interest in AI? What, what, what sparked sure. it? So uh, let's get back. I think uh, first started university. I was in an accelerated cohort in, uh, in Queensland. Had a really good program there. Very sort of practical-minded marketing angle with their education. Uh, as part of that, I got to intern with uh, two companies as I was studying. Uh, so mostly at a marketing assistant level, but you got to start somewhere, right? Mm. And uh, in between that, I was doing some work at Colmar Brunton as like a field work researcher. So I got to see. You know, on the boots, I was interviewing people and, and uh, tabulating data into SPSS in the good old days. So you're a data guy or well, yeah, maths mind? A bit of both, yeah. So a good cross-section of experience. Then that was at university. Then uh, I had a bit of a break in Canada, lived there for two years, uh, worked in some sort of hotels and did the whole gap year thing. That was mm-hmm. great. Then came back, um, did some advertising agency work, McCann's, bit of Saatchi, and then that was a good exposure to big brand work. Um, then I was in Melbourne, uh, working down there for some digital agencies. Um, that was when search was quite new and Facebook was just taking off back in 2014, 15. Mm. So really incredible yield you could get. Um, and the knowledge really wasn't there. So huge growth market. Obviously, since then, it's died down a bit and the yields decreased. Um, and then I went to America, um, was working for a startup in Silicon Valley, uh, doing growth. And mm. specifically, it's a bit of a uh, wide term, but it was generating more demand for a marketplace on the de- demand and supply side mm-hmm. and getting both of those parties to transact. Um, so it was a revenue focused uh, position there. And then I've since sort of come back here and had an idea for a tech application, combining all that knowledge together. And uh, I've been working on that the last year and a half while doing some consulting and uh, agency work on the side. Mm, That's probably how I found out about you. Well, it's interesting, actually. We found out about each other on LinkedIn, speaking about technology. (laughs) (laughs) I put a call out to uh, interview different people uh, on artificial intelligence and and your name popped up. Mm, Um, mm. You're based out of Western Australia? No, no, actually. I Ah. just put that as a joke uh, just to see who (laughs) reads the bottom of my uh, profile. Um, And no, no, no. I fly between Sydney and Melbourne. I lived in Melbourne for like eight years, but um, I'm temporarily in Brisbane and flying down to Sydney and, and Melbourne every week or so. So we won't relocate this podcast to uh, WA? No, no, definitely not. No. <laughs> um, but you replied saying uh, you've obviously got a, got a huge interest in it, and as you said, mm. looking at tech, tech application. Before we jump into that, give me a sense of 
what do you mean by the words artificial intelligence sure. uh, from your world and maybe marketers that you interact with? Yeah, look, um, from my perspective, it's at a senior management level, it's a bit of a, a plaything. It's a bit of a buzzword term. Um, but I have been exposed, especially in America and through my business partner who was working for an AI company in Silicon Valley, uh, to what I would call true AI, which is uh, what I describe, if you want to use another buzzword, evolutionary computational algorithms, which are algorithms which learn and adapt and improve over time uh, without human intervention. ECA. Yes. Have we got another acronym into the uh, marketing bible? Well, that's that's kind of where the true AI is, and that uses. Uh, you'll probably hear this other word, neural networks. Um, mm -hmm. You know, creating an artificial brain. For me, AI is something that learns and gets better over time without too much human intervention. Yeah. And what are you seeing in that sense then, from a from a tech angle or a, or a strategic angle, um, when you say you're getting into a tech application? Sure. Give listeners a sense of, of what you're doing and what that sense is. Well, I suppose I was first exposed to uh, AI, if we go back to DeepMind, um, a company out of the UK, um, which was started by a neuroscientist and uh, data scientist, I think. He had a bit of both. Yep. So he, he did the brain work and the the other work, and they sold to Google. And that, they, did, they did Alpha. Did they do AlphaGo? Yeah, through that. Yeah, yep. that's that's a, a sort of a subsidiary idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, and technically, it's still a bit separate in Google's um, Alphabet group. But um, at the same time, I was exposed on the front lines of search optimization, and I think that's probably the most practical area where I've seen what they call Rank Brain, which is an AI-driven um, uh, module which runs how websites appear on search queries on Google, yeah. and um, I've seen that over time. They sacked the whole SEO office of employees in Google and replaced them with this automated solution. Um, a couple of months ago, it had a bit of an issue uh, and they had to roll things back manually, so it's not perfect. Um, but that's kind of where you would use things every day without knowing that you're interacting with a, a product that's driven by AI specifically. Um, and people use Google every single day. Um, Just on, I think it's a really good point that we... We hear in marketing as the new thing or it's the next exciting thing that's mm -hmm. been happening for the last couple of years, um, probably after mobile first, which we sure. heard about for years. Um, but actually, we've been using AI solutions uh, for, for years, haven't we? Yeah, decades. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they had their issues back in the day, um, but they're very much automated self-aware systems now. I'm, I'm hearing rumors when I talk to some friends of... Um, this this AI actually creating its own coding language that the engineers who created the AI can't understand. Mm. Um, that's a bit freaky because this thing is self-aware and writing its own code. Yeah, I think that's it goes into a big cul-de-sac, doesn't it? Because you start to go, if I can't understand the code, what on earth has been created? And how do we and control humans, it? We can't control that or we can't understand it. Mm. Mm. I think that's a challenge for, with trust or, or at least going... How do sure. I trust this computer that's generating things that I don't even comprehend or don't even know? Yes. So do we need to know or do we not need to know? Well, it's it's a good point. Um, I suppose the people fling around this sort of conspiracy theory thing, AI is going to take over the world, possible. Um, but when I hear stories like that and they've been validated as true, um, it's pretty scary. Yeah. I've always heard with autonomous driving, plenty of examples, haven't mm. we, where... You know, we've, we've been told that people can take over their car remotely and we're going to see all these cars crashing into uh, kids and all sorts of dilemmas um, mm -hmm. that are faced. But 
yeah, I think uh, there's always a doomsdayer. There Let, is. Let's keep it positive. You're, uh, exactly. you're looking at technology. Tell, uh, tell us more about what that yeah, is. Yeah, so in terms of applications, I, I, a lot of um, debate around this area tends to be towards two areas in, in our sector, marketing or growth. Uh, it tends to be very ad tech driven um, or it's marketing tech to do with the sales side. I see some really good applications in sales prospecting and closing and automation within that whole sequence, especially in B2B um, software sales. Um, there's some really good applications there, which I use personally. Um, you can almost sack your entire sales force bar some human interaction when it's needed. So all the groundwork is done beforehand and, and the follow-up. With that, you really need to get involved. And that does reduce headcount and contribute to a lot of savings. Um, the other area I see it is in ad tech optimization, You know things like copy, images, video. Um, this A-B split testing gets thrown around a lot. Um, and automating that process. So I can give you two examples. Yeah, um, Evolve AI in San Francisco, the company which my business partner worked for. Um, you may have used Optimizely or split testing yes. systems with landing pages you know, in the digital area. Um, they have created an AI and if there's enough interaction on this page in terms of conversion events, um, they'll split test all the changes you're going to make concurrently at the same time. Instead of you having to run an A-B test and swap out a variable, do it again and again and again mm. and again, you can put in all those variables at the start and it will, it's called multivariate testing. So doing multivariate, yeah. Yeah. And um, over time, once you've set it, it will find the, the right combination of those variables that has the best result um, and apply that directly to your site. So do you think that's intelligent or is that going back to what we've learned in direct marketing well, from direct marketers out there that yeah. you test all sorts of attributes? Certainly it was sure. a lot slower. You either have to A, B test or A, B, C or whatever you want to do. Sure. Um, but at the end of the day, it's multivariate testing to find the right combinations that may work for some people or some segments. Yes. And other segments act differently. Well, I mean, I've heard personally that they hire a lot of um, neural network experts within that company. I can't comment because mm. I haven't looked at their tech. Um, mm. I would say it's one of the better examples I've seen, but mm. is it just an advanced algorithm with some really interesting parameters or is it software AI? Um, they do mention specifically um, uh, the acronym that we mentioned before. Um, so I could argue that it's more on the AI side of, mm. of algorithms. And certainly for marketers where it's become harder and harder to work out how many tests they should do and I can't keep spending money on doing more and more and more and more, mm. it's a, probably a quicker way to get to the best conversions or the best solutions. Very fast. Um, so, you, yeah, you have that time advantage. You also have the elimination of human bias, which comes into a lot of split testing. Um, a lot of people don't even know the difference between 9 to 5%, 99% confidence interval when they're doing split testing. There's a huge difference between that 4% range. A big debate with someone the other day about confidence levels. Exactly. So, you know, if you want to get geeky, I, I mean, I've seen firsthand in startups people using, um, what is his name, Neil Patel's little um, confidence interval yes. calculator, and it's completely false. Yeah. Um, or they're measuring the wrong parameters or they're interpreting the data incorrectly. So, you know, you're also removing that human um, bias from the situation as well as reducing the time. But with this example, we're probably still down the the bottom of the funnel sure it's, it's at the end conversion point is that right yes yeah. yeah and this is where i suppose why i want to talk to you today is because i take it not just at ad optimization level which is the click or interactional view i take it all the way down to a revenue outcome which is a whole nother kettle of fish and once you start optimizing from revenue back up towards your sort of top of funnel marketing activities mm. 
uh, you'll notice a lot of it is completely wasted. Um, obviously, we've got to be mindful here of the long-term versus short-term brand versus sales activation, but um, it's a completely different way of looking at business, and that's what I've been working on for the last probably year and a half. Yeah, that's great, and, and I see too many marketers focused whether that's the marketer or the media agency or the agency, whether it's a digital agency or other, mm. um, just talking down that bottom end saying, I've got a X percent increase in conversion rate and look how much we've generated in sales. And you go, well, that's the last you know, end of the funnel type of activity. Was it going to happen anyway? Well, yeah, what's the baseline? What's and, the baseline? you know, what's the macroeconomic factors at play here? You know, has there been a competitor that's entered or exited the market? Half of the time I ask them this question, I have no idea. Yeah. yeah. So maybe it gives a sense of, how are you starting to join up as we go back up the funnel? What are you looking at and how are you approaching it without sure. giving away too much of your secret sauce? Yeah, no, no, of course. Um, so what I'm looking at is, um, and you need to connect a lot of disparate systems together, which is why this is very technically complex. And again, I'm mindful of generalizing here because I work in a lot of different sectors. I'll give an example. Um, if we're looking at something like, okay, I do plastic surgery for certain augmentations to the chest area. Mm -hmm. um, and... The sales lag time on that can be 12 to 18 months. So that first interaction all the way through to a purchase uh, can take that long. So if you're taking cross-sectional data of a three-month campaign, you're not really seeing that end result. Mm -hmm. So I think the first point is you need to take a very long-term view of this and bring in a lot of variables like brand, different channels, and this is where this attribution complexity comes into play. Yeah. Um, everyone talks about an MTA or multi-touch attribution, um, but I think a unified model is probably better and there's a lot of different ways you can configure that. So I use unified approach. Um, I consider the length of the sale and then post-purchase behavior, if there's another sale, over a very long period of time. Mm. And how, how are you identifying that lag when you're saying 12 to 18 months? Are you using some panel data or some survey data of current customers? Well, in, in that respect, um, this is a service sector uh, mm. application for the product. Um, we'd take CRM data that comes in um, via phone or you know, digitally or whatever. Um, and then we would look at that at a later point in time and, and track where it originated and all the interaction with that person over a period of time. So the key sounding bite out of that, sound bite out of that is to identify the relevant data. Yeah, and that, that's a big pitfall. You need to know a lot about a lot of different systems. So when I look at channels, you need to be a channel expert in every single channel. And I'm yeah. not just talking top level of, you know, impressions or something like that or reach. You really need to know uh, which are the really effective mediums of pushing a revenue outcome yeah. further down the train. And um, it can be actually very boring channels. Um, so everyone wants to create a, you know, 15 second, 30 second video or have their ad plastered on a billboard, for example. Um, but sometimes it can be just a follow-up phone call from a sales rep um, yeah. after they've inquired, you know, or walked past a sign. And well, radio as well. I mean, I've digressed slightly. I'm mm. uh, doing a course on Northern Beaches Community Radio. Nice. <laughs> so uh, the power of actually listening to radio. I'm not sure whether anybody listens to Northern Beaches Radio, but we're auditory. So going back to sure. uh, some neuroscience, that you know, we listen to things and we take it in. A podcast... We can't see you. You can't see what's what's around us, anyone who's listening to this, but mm -hmm. we're listening and you can take in uh, so much more information, whether it's subliminally or... Big time. Um, so good example on that. Um, I was talking to a CMO, a close friend of mine in Melbourne, health sector, um, and he put radio... So we had a lot of channels going and he put radio in at very specific times late at night when the ladies were at the gym. 
And that radio put a 20% uplift in every other channel. Um, he took the radio out and he had to do this. So he used exclusion testing over a couple of months and uh, his budget got pulled. So we had to pull the radio and, um, and it dropped 20%. So we could basically prove some very high correlation, if not causal relationship between investment in radio being that sort of last slice of the pie that uplifted every other result. So I suppose I take a very agnostic view at media uh, expenditure and media is just one way you can get a sale. There's yep. many other types of, of ways. So get, that's great. Getting back to the AI side, um, mm. what application are you looking at and how does it help solve marketers' challenges all the way through that multi-channel uh, touch issue through the funnel issue? Sure. Um, so another example would be, um, let's go back to the software sort of side of things. I know this is B2B, but mm. um, Mad Kudu is a really interesting platform um, out of Silicon Valley. And they use you know, Facebook AI data and bring a lot of sets together to predict um, the receptability of, of a lead being interested in your product before you really have to do anything. And um, they use a lot of lookalike audiences and a lot of that determines the quality of the, the sample you start with when you do a lookalike mm. and the integrity of, of that matching process. But they've got a very interesting system that basically runs on autopilot with very minimal intervention. Um, they're doing some interesting things uh, in that side of the market. Um, I'm working on, uh, I don't want to be alarmist here, but basically making the agency versus in-house decision a bit redundant um, by uh, facilitating operations and connecting strategy to tactical execution, measurement, and then feeding that back into a circular process of growth. Um, and that removes a lot of the human bias that we see, uh, whether it's a political bias within the organization or um, you know, external vendors, you know, hiding the sort of juicy data that you actually need. You're not suggesting that agencies would ever push their data. No, no, no not, not at all, not at all. <laughs> but like, you know, I, I'm, I'm pragmatic when it comes to commercial reality. Like yes. companies have to make profit. Um, but, you know, ultimately the company loses out. So um, that's why I stick mostly in the private equity sector and work with clients who have a direct interest in revenue outcomes for the business. Once you move away from that, it, it's not really about sales. Yeah. I like that point you made about uh, taking away human bias. Yes. Um, we hear a lot of AI discussions around taking humans' job role or overtaking, which is what you're suggesting yes. to a degree, but also augmenting with humans. Um, but taking away some human bias to get a better result mm. is ultimately what we're trying to do. Definitely. Breaking down silos, breaking down you know, preferred choice of channel or preferred choice of solution, as you said, is great. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, I have a, an example of that. I was on a plane uh, last week next to a gentleman and uh, he was configuring um, image recognition of checks. So uh, the big four banks in Sydney, I think all but one, all the checks that get deposited go to one facility. They go scanned. They look for discrepancies between, um, you know, for fraud and things like that or in the amounts and then automatically that whole process is done. So, you know, that used to be a manual process with bank tellers in the, in the background. Mm. That's completely gone now. Wow. Mm. So that's just one. And we don't know that, do we? I mean, I'm sure. I, you wouldn't got know a, I got a check the other day, which was really bloody annoying. Yeah, but you do. <laughs> I had to go to an ATM and, and put it you in. You put it in, right? But yeah. that, that goes in the ATM, it gets collected, gets to a distribution center, mm. automatically scanned, bang, into your, into your account, unless there's an issue, and then it gets manually intervened. Yeah. Mm. So what's the end game here? Are you... For marketers, and we're talking, I guess you're talking about growth being the outcome, that's your, that's your objective. For marketers, what are you wanting to achieve? 
I want to make it easier for marketers to make uh, adapt to the market as quick as possible and get the most effective outcomes um, that are valuable to the business itself. Um, so at a, I've created a briefing system, I, I suppose, at the top level that takes my uh, expert opinion in all these different channels and allows you to instantly brief uh, a vendor to do a really good job without having to have meetings or knowledge of what they do. And that's where I see a lot of this miscommunication. Um, as a maybe yeah. a CMO, I'm not really familiar with the ins and outs of display advertising, for example, but I'm that sort of intermediary that can translate what you want into what the vendor wants then and they can execute a really good campaign for you. Ah, fascinating. So that, that I'm hearing that and thinking uh, capability tends to be a big issue in this space. Yes. So both agencies, vendors, and on the client side, marketers, sure. that trying to get capability that understands both business and artificial intelligence and, as you said, full through the funnel uh, concepts. Mm. Um, this sounds like you're trying to take away, which is great, uh, some of those big issues that can pop up. Yeah. But I actually don't need to hire in all the capability necessarily. As or, a marketer, I could utilize AI to solve something. Correct. Problems. Or you're saving that sort of overhead of that vendor and that time spent, you know, with miscommunication with the client back and forth emails, you're saving that whole problem. So it actually yeah. makes it easier for the vendor. Vendor likes it. The, um, you know, the client itself can brief on the run and just call up and push a button if they want to. Or I've got this new product idea. I've been to this, you know, CMO conference and, you know, we need to do this. You know, that's the mm. general thing. They get all excited. And this allows you to, to brief an expert vendor in your local area or internationally to execute that idea for you. So getting much more efficient. It sounds like on the marketing side, yes. greater efficiency. Yes. yes. And ultimately, greater effectiveness, which is your growth model. And higher margins for the vendor. So everybody wins. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of the the ads for computers in the eighties, where it was all going to be, "We'll free your time up, so you can sit on a beach." <laughs> Hasn't eventuated, has it? What they failed to think through this was, "I need to earn an income to pay." Yes. So we still need a job. Yes. Um, what's your thoughts around? Will it be a reskilling then if we're reducing, improving efficiency? Probably reducing some headcount. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've seen this already with the, there's two companies that do a lot of what we call RPA, robotic process automation. Um, uh, basically, that just means sacking low-level, um, low-value jobs, jobs. Um, like coordinators and things like that. I, I would be very wary if I was in that sort of role, just you know, sending communication between parties. There's zero value in that. Um, mm -hmm. All it does is open you up to uh, miscommunication, really. So Appian is an interesting company in the US that are in that space that, with a low-code framework, and uh, you hear a lot about UiPath. They have automated complete back-end systems as well as the admin side of things, and they're going to the front-facing consumer role mm. as well and automating that. Um, I'm automating the strategic planning side of things, uh, which is, again, much higher up the, yeah. the chain of the organization. So doing away with two levels, you're doing away with the uh, the low level doers <laughs> or the the mundane, you know, sure. repeatable type uh, jobs, um, but you're also potentially doing away with the uh, strategic side. Yeah, and this is, this is a good point. Um, and this is the biggest inhibitor to growth in companies I see is this what we call silo mentality between departments. For growth to happen, all those departments need to work together, especially product uh, sales, marketing, and any other support services that are sort of geared around that revenue area, um, data and finance, for example. Mm. And um, you often get this friction of political sort of point scoring. And that does not work if you want a growth outcome. Um, that's the biggest inhibitor to growth. So I suppose what my platform does, it helps to translate all those different people and get them working on the same kind of core metric. 
and then that metric filters down into their department. Yeah, I like that. I mean, you're, you're talking about alignment, sure. which is one of the biggest issues for the biggest businesses, the silos and lack of clear objectives that overarch Big time. all silos. Yeah. So unified metrics, unified objectives, which is most important. Yes. Metrics being the KPIs yeah. um, to measure its success. Big time. I mean, you use this OKR term that John Doerr um, mm. uses, but, um, and there's, again, there's a lot of um, bias when it comes to choosing metrics. So uh, how do you measure that metric? Um, and which metric do you measure? Mm. Um, you need to have a lot of experience to, to know how that works. So are you talking ROI of AI? Is it ultimately? Yes. Yeah, so what I'm working on is uh, an autonomous business growth engine, you would say. So um, using humans sparingly to generate financial outcomes for, for businesses. And what are you saying or what are you hearing around long-term versus short-term? So yeah. long-term <laughs> with AI, it's, it's difficult to implement, it's difficult to get sure. right. Maybe it's little steps and then progressively iterate. Um, but the CMO or the board don't want to take too long these days because they need short-term sales. How are you either overcoming it or what are you hearing? Uh, that's a good point. I, mean, I suppose that question is two-pronged. Um, you know, the interaction between brand and sales activation or short and long-term effects and also how much of that can be automated. Um, it's, it's very complex and that's why I don't want to make general statements. But from my experience, um, I've built it in a way that I can adapt to different sectors and different products or services. Um, and, you know, I talked about sales lead lag. It's just one of the variables that you have to look at. Um, you have to really know the customer decision-making process as well. Um, yeah, look, uh, probably uh, probably not a, a good answer to that question. It's a trade-off. I think that yes. there's probably no answer. Uh, no. It's no. the old question of which bit of my, my marketing is working, 50%. I'm not sure which side. I think the hardest thing with AI and if you automate things is this dynamic environment that everyone's exposed to. You know, markets are changing very rapidly mm. these days and it's not going to get any easier. Um, so if you have agility to make better planning decisions based on you know, unbiased data, then you're going to win in the long term. Mm. Um, so in terms of decision-making uh, over time, AI will help um, maybe remove some of those sources of bias um, and make things quicker and easier. That will give you a competitive edge in the market. Mm. Which is ultimately what, what most leaders are wanting. Pretty much. Fascinating. Mm. Could you leave anyone with one piece of advice in approaching uh, looking for AI solutions? Sure. Um, well, that's hard. Uh, there's not many. 99% of them are, are fake, number one. Um, so if you hear a startup using AI, they're probably just using an open source, um, open AI platform or something and, and ticking off a tick box when they're raising funding to make it sound good to investors. Um, I would go with tried and proven applications. And again, this is very expensive. So the two companies I'd look at would be Google and Facebook. Um, you know, maybe some of the other established players in the market, um, but there isn't many because it's so complex. So I'll give an example. Google's Vision AI is really good or their OCR, which is optical mm. recognition. Um, you can tap into that Google Cloud and use that straight away. And the same with uh, Facebook's AI with uh, improving campaigns. Um, that's very powerful. So it's back to test and learn, isn't it? It's going back to say, maybe this is the future, it's coming. Uh, seems to be a long-term trend uh, from all, all analysis, mm. but get in, start small, get your head around it, test some things, don't see it as the all-encompassing solution just yet, but no. maybe work towards how it could improve efficiency and ultimately effectiveness. Exactly. 
Reminds me of CRM of the 90s. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> We're out of time, but really fascinating to talk to you today. You too. Thanks very much. I just have one more question for you. Mm-hmm. When your technology puts you out of a job, what are you going to do? Thank you.